Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast. This week, we have two of our EOD professionals from the organization. We have Mark and Cole with us this week. This should be a good episode. This has been a highly requested episode. Uh, so I really look forward to this interview and getting some information out, out there to the masses. So, guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mr. Free. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Mr. Free. Appreciate it. Uh, Mark, let's start with you, man. If you would, just give the audience a brief background on how you ended up in EOD. All right. Uh, came into the Air Force in 2003 and basically went straight into EOD right after that. Um, so I'm, I'm a pipeline guy as far as that goes. Uh, really, the reason why I came in is just because I wanted to do something different. So EOD gave me that opportunity. What was it growing up that led you to the Air Force, Mark? Ah, uh, well, that's a hard question. Uh, Really, I was going to college and trying to be an engineer, and then that didn't work out. So I wanted to do something a little bit more exciting. I've always been interested in doing stuff that increased my adrenaline, and this seemed to fit the bill pretty well. How did you find out about EOD? Because I started out in the Marine Corps, so um, when I was looking at how to get near the action, I thought, I'll just join the Marine Corps because, you know, their commercials are pretty badass, so I'm like, man, that's probably for me. Yeah, how how EOD? Like that seems like a like when you think about the Air Force, more most people don't think about these combat career fields. So how did you end up? Why? How did EOD sell itself to you before you came in? Well, I was actually looking at being a firefighter first, and then I had pretty good test scores, so they also gave me EOD and read the bio on what that entailed, and that just seems a lot more my style as opposed to fighting fires. So I decided to go EOD. It was quicker to come into and they're getting a little bit of money, but that didn't really factor into my decision at that point. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Cole? Yeah. So I joined the Air Force in 2011. Um, I was going to college at the time, a small community college in Central Valley, California, and just playing water polo and swimming. So School wasn't quite working out for me. I was more involved in extracurriculars. And so uh, originally I actually went to a Navy recruiter and was like, hey man, I like swimming. Um, I wanna do something where I can swim and not be in an office. And uh, he's like, oh great, SEAL, SWIC, X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, cool, sounds fun. Um, He was a little overbearing and trying to get me to MEPS like the next day. So I just told him back off. And then, uh, so I went to an Air Force recruiter not long after that, my brother was in the Air Force at the time. And, I just told him the same thing, like, hey, I want, I want to swim. Um, you know, I want to not be in an office. And so he told me about PJ, controller, and then uh, also said this thing, EOD. And I was like, I have no idea what EOD is. Um, explain it to me. And uh, actually, I actually had a, a really good recruiter. Um, I was a fortunate person with that. 
and kind of gave me the breakdown of what broke down of, uh, of what he knew about EOD and um, just kind of said, do you want to blow things up and deploy and disarm IEDs? And I was like, sounds fun to me. You know, I'm 18 years old and what do I know about life? You know, looking back at it now, I'm like, I'm stupid for saying, yeah, I want to play with IEDs. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you know, I went and did the pass for controller and PJ and then um, the EOD contract just happened to um, pop up first and I was ready to get out of town. So I, I took that opportunity. All right, Mark, back over to you. What I'd like to know now uh, to give the audience a little more background about you guys, where were you assigned prior to here and, and give us some experience from that assignment? Oh man, that's a long time ago. So I uh, started out my career at Luke Air Force Base. I was a ranger rat for seven years, picking up BDUs in the desert. Um, but it taught me a lot of cool things like base, the basics. I mean, that's all we hammered down there. So, and then I was getting ready to get out, unless I could get, uh, get out of Luke. And I finally got a, a uh, assignment to Spingdalem. And that was cool because it's overseas, something different. Uh, but that put me into that whole nuclear world. And uh, Once you get that moniker on you, you kind of get stuck. So I was there for four years and then got PCS to Minot, which uh, actually ended up being a not bad assignment. Uh, and then I came here, so it's been a pretty good ride. Cole, over to you. Let's talk about some of your uh, previous assignments and what that experience was like. Yeah, so similar to Mark, my first duty station was Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix. Um, did just over two and a half years there doing the range rat. Um, I thought it was probably the most beneficial thing that could have happened in my career because you learn, you get so good at the basics of EOD, whether most importantly being demo. Um, that is a huge part of our, our job, obviously, and being effective and safe with it, it, it really taught me all of that there. Um, from there, um, deployed once out of there with Mark actually to Afghanistan and I was leaving, when we were leaving Afghanistan, I told our, our captain, I was like, hey, unless uh, another war pops off or I get an assignment overseas, um, I'm gonna get out at the end of my six year assignment just because I kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, first day back from r, &R got an assignment to Osan, Korea. Um, so like Mark said, I, I kind of, at that point, started taking my career in my own hands because I wanted to be over, wanted to get stationed overseas in the military, um, wanted to experience the different cultures. So luckily, in order to get out of some assignments in the States, you kind of have to go do a remote tour or go do a short tour somewhere. Got to Osan, spent my year there, um, you know, doing that seaburn exercises, which it's Korea's notorious for. Then after that, went to Spangdalm, Germany, just like Mark, and spent uh, about three and a half years in the the special weapons arena. Awesome. I just, uh, I guarantee there's a lot of EOD guys who are on their for first tour of duty who are going to listen to this podcast, right? So I just want you guys to have an opportunity right now to do some mentoring back out to the community. And when you say take your assignment into my own hands, what does that mean? Cole, what does that mean to you? What did you do differently? <clears throat> um. For me, it was just looking at the opportunities. There are a lot of guys at Luke. I mean, it's a 50 man shop or I think a 50 or 60 man shop might not be quite that right now, but um, talked to some of the older guys who had traveled around and been to different assignments and asked them, what did they do? You know, lots of guys had overseas experience and um, I just reached out to them and asked them how to do it the best ways. And when it comes to AFPC, there's about a million different rumors on how to get things done. Um, so I just took the, the reoccurring themes from all those guys like, hey, 
if you want to get out of here, like go do a short tour. You're young. I was single. Um, it was a perfect time to go spend a year in Korea or Turkey is another option, obviously. Um, so that's, that's what I did. And, um, it, that's been something that I've been told since before joining the Air Force is take your career in your own hands. It's your career. No one's going to care about it, um, as much as you are. So do what you can to have the most benefit for yourself and, um, get, get your, or be able to meet your goals. Yeah. Good stuff, mm -hmm. man. So Cole, we're going to go back to you for this one. how did you find out about the 724? And what led you to put in that application? Um, so it's kind of like a, a twofold thing. When I was at Luke in 2013, um, it's when the uh, first guy got picked up to come down here. Um, and our chief gave us a briefing about it. He said, there's this thing down uh, at a location. It's going to be happening. I don't have much information about it, but um, it's going to be more uh, soft based. So that was the first time I heard about it. And there was rumor mills going around for years until uh, 2000. 18, I actually got a, a message from Mark saying who I knew was down here at the time. Um, he said, hey, are you interested in this? And that was the message. And I said, uh, yeah, I think so. He said, cool. Well, uh, we're looking at hiring some more, put in an application. And I just replied to him, how? And he gave me, uh, I think, your information. And so I reached out and said, hey, Mr. Free, I'm interested in doing this. Uh, where do I go? <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that, that's... Kind of like the the short story or the real story of how it happened um is really just the the right time the right opportunity and my motivation for wanting something more um, than what i was getting in my career yeah awesome mark over to you well uh i knew nick who was one of the original guys out here um and i was with him at spangdalm when he first got asked to come out here and so I was watching him go through the process and I knew him and Bart both really well. Um, so I always knew that that was out there before it really became widely known. So I knew it was something that I wanted and it took a, quite a while for that program to get started up in the early days. So I was just trying to keep myself ready and be prepared because I knew once it came down, I was going to have one shot due to my age and my rank. So I was setting myself up for that one shot and it finally came down and I was kind of on this, this weird place where uh, I was getting ready to test and make rank. And I was like, I want to, I really want to take a shot at this. So I ended up kind of passing off my rank to the detriment of my career, but it, it allowed me an opportunity to try out. That's pretty much how I came to be here. Cole, over to you. What was that experience like when you came through? Um, it, was, it was a wild experience, and a lot of it is because there was so much unknowns. Um, you know, some of the Jays controllers who are up here um, know guys who have been up here before they even came. Um, it's been much more, much longer established for the Jays controllers being up here and the whole unit. Uh, so for us, there was there there was no reference as to what it's going to be like. Um, so, it, you know, obviously a lot of the uh, selection and uh, processes kept pretty close hold. Um, so for me, just came in with an open mind. And uh, biggest part was like, this is me. This is who I am. Uh, if you don't like it, awesome. Uh, I tried and I didn't want to regret that later on in my career for not ever giving it a shot. Um, so like Mark said it really well um our career field doesn't do any type of selection processes other than um the the in doc course or not in doc uh, 
I think yeah, Indoc down at uh, Shepherd. A lot of that is just like physical and can you learn? Um, here it's who are you? And so you're doing these batteries to test that Mark was talking about, and you have no idea what you're you're being assessed for or on. You're just taking tests, and um, obviously there are some physical uh, parts of it. And half of you is thinking like, what am I doing? Am I applying to like be in the CIA, or am I applying to go to the NFL? Like, <laughs> what's happening right now? Um, so the the unknown of the whole thing was probably the most intimidating part of it. Um, but at the end of the day. It, I knew it was something I wanted to give a shot at. And so I just kind of went out there and gave it all I had. Yeah, that's good. Um, you said a couple of things that I want to touch upon here. You're talking about you had no reference and there was a lot of unknown. So how did you deal with that, Cole, when you got there and like you go into each event and you're like, man, I feel out of my element. And it seems like all these other guys are really comfortable in their element. How are you dealing with that? Um, they kind of use it as motivation, really. I saw the fact that the things that were being tested on, um, you know, some of the, whether the skills or physical evaluations, you can kind of connect some dots and figure out what the place is about, um, while you're doing that. And I saw that as something I wanted to be a part of. So I use it as motivation, um, and seeing the other guys, you know, the Jays controllers that we were with, um, how they're performing, how they presented themselves and, um, the way they did things as I use that as a huge piece of motivation because those are the guys I wanted to be around. Um, especially the guys we went through selection with, you know, in the selection process, you, you know, you build relationships right there. Um, and I knew like, those are guys I want to work with and be a part of. So that was, it was actually a pretty big motivating factor. It'd be knowing that you're clearly signing up and applying and trying out for something bigger and better than what you're a part of right now. Yeah, Cole, let's stick with you. Um, you're, you're on a roll here. So what were some of the more challenging aspects? Like what's one or two memories that stick out to you of, man, that sucked or that tripped me up or um, I learned a lot from that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the unknown, again, of what's coming next, what are they evaluating, how am I supposed to be performing? You're given, you know, task condition standard, but you don't know what the metric is that they are going to evaluate you on. If you complete the event, great. Did you complete it well? Did you complete it just good enough? What is that line? What is that level? Um, and you don't get that, which is awesome because it forces you to uh, the very next event, just kind of wipe it clean, learn from what you, uh, what you messed up on there or what you think you messed up on and uh, keep pushing forward. So that unknown and it um, was a big part. And then I think a lot of it too is not as Honestly, knowing when it's going to end, but um, how much more you have in the tank and how much more you need to keep in the tank. Um, so it's, you know, going out there and you give 100% on every single event and you just not start questioning yourself, but you start looking at it and saying, oh man, like how many more of these events can I give 100% at? Um, so that, yeah, I want to I want to hit on that real quick, Cole. Sorry to cut you off, but this no is so important. We talk about priorities of work all the time you know that they were huge in selection. Uh, and I just want to give a, a little coaching tip, if you will, to the guys um, who may be coming up with their EOD or operators or whoever else is just what Cole said there of how you don't know what's coming next. You're trying to manage your en energy systems to where you don't just collapse before it's over and then you don't make it. You're also managing your food intake, your water intake. It's this big calculus equation that you're trying to figure out with a unknown what's coming in the future. So, Guys who are out there training, 
you have to get yourself into some of these um, situations to where you were pushing and you're having to manage maybe a little bit of food where you don't have enough food and you got to manage what you have left. How are you managing that hydration in those times? All key things I just want to hit on real quick that guys, a lot of guys don't practice that hard before they come up and they pay for it when they get here. So uh, good, Mark, over to you. What, were, what was challenging in your ex, uh, selection experience that stands out to you? Exactly what you just said. I did not do a very good job of getting myself prepared for that that calculus problem that you're talking about of how much energy should I be putting out, what my food intake should look like at certain events or after an event, or how much water I need to be intaking. In fact, towards the end there, I was I would say I was struggling um, until I started figuring out like I was. I just needed to eat more that caused some serious issues. I think with me down the further along the selection process. Um, and that was a big eye opening event for me. I mean, again, I think we're only as good as what we learned from the last thing and that. I mean, I take that to heart, so that was really tough and then the unknown, like, I think that's just. The best way that we find out what's important is. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how long you're going to be doing it. You don't know how far you're going when this is going to end. And you have to give 100% or we're going to know. And then you just have to know that, like, I'm going to push myself farther and farther. And you need to do that in your training just so you know when you get to that point where, hey, man, this is normally where I crash. That's not an option. I just got to keep pushing farther. And you just got to keep moving that line. Yeah, it's good, man. Uh, some something I just took away there too is um, exactly what you said is uh, you don't know what's coming next. All you can do is control the variables that you have in your perception. Like you can control certain things. We want to see how you control those certain things. We know we're going to hit you with some surprises. Um, and a lot of it isn't surprises. We're just giving you a next event. But if you didn't control all those variables up to that next event, and here's a better way to say it. Problem solving is probably our most um, critical attribute that we look for in people. There's not a time during any ANS process where you are going to stop solving problems all the way through. So if you're not managing those variables, if you're not doing those priorities of work correctly, and it's getting down towards the end, your problem solving ability is going to slough off really quickly. And it's going to have an effect, not just on you, but all your teammates who are also counting on you to be that problem solver. So any comments on that? Yeah, very much. So, um, I was, I was just thinking back and. Everything was mentally and physically hard, and it's not like it was the most physically hard thing that I've ever done in my entire life. It wasn't the most mentally hard thing I've ever done in my life. When you put them together, I mean, it's a it's a killer right there. And the key is, is what you said is physically you're beat down, but mentally you need to be in the game and you need to be actually peaking at the end because at no point are you ever not allowed to just zone out and be like okay i just gotta nug through this thing i've you've got to be always thinking like is there a better way what should i be accomplishing here what's my end state can i get there in the time allotted or do i need to take certain risks and all that plays in and it's and that's the draining part i think and it, i i really liked it yeah, I think um, to piggyback on that too, because of what guys out there that are listening to this who want to come up, they, all they have for a frame of reference is is when they came through the pipeline piece, right? When they came to that inception point into EOD or into um, the other operator uh, 
on specialties. Uh, but you could hide in some numbers back then. There were larger numbers then. So just like you said, you don't always have to peek then. At times you can hide in the crowd then. At any one of our processes, they are designed to where you are never going to hide in the crowd. So again, it's that preparation phase before you come up here that's so critical to make sure that you, I love what you said there, Mark, that you're peaking when it gets really hard, not um, falling off the edge of the cliff when things get really hard, because that's when we're looking for you. I'll be honest with you, we assess people all the way through, but there's key times that we want to see you perform and solve problems. And um, you don't know when those are, uh, but it's important, like you both of you said, that you can maintain those levels all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, what stood out about the 724 when you came up? So imagine you're going through both of you. Uh, you don't know that you're getting hired. Maybe you didn't, weren't going to get hired. What did you walk away from the process before you got that hiring decision about the 724? Uh, so uh, for me, right off, it was the professionalism. This is a world-class organization, and I say it specifically like that because Everybody is a professional. Everybody is here to do a specific thing and they're great at what they're doing. So if you wanted to come here and just be average, mediocre, or just do one little thing, you're not going to make it. I, I think like you have to be professional and the people here really are. And Everybody takes everything serious, but at the same time, like, it's not like you can't joke around with people, but it's the professionalism. I mean, that's that's what I took away as being the most important. Awesome. How about you, Cole? Uh, I completely agree with Mark when it comes to the professionalism. Um, and I'm not saying like, you know, the the neatest, cleanest haircuts, you know, this big and spam uniforms. I'm saying like the the guys that you see evaluating you and then the guys to your left and right that are also being assessed, um, they again they have more the guy, other guys being assessed um, in my situation, they had a had some knowledge of this place just because you know being Jays and controllers, the information was out there a little more. Um, but you see that they are true professionals in their craft. They are striving to be the, um, the the best at what they do, and that's what stood out to me. And then when it just came to the whole selection process, how organized it was, how again professional it was, and how well it was set up. Um, that stood out to me. And again, it's kind of like led to the, to the point that this is something I knew I wanted to be a part of because of that um, versus, you know, where I was at at the time. You know, we say it and people are probably tired of hearing on the podcast, but a lot of guys who come up and don't even, they don't get the nod and they don't get picked up to come up for an assignment. Um, I would say about 99% of them still say in their feedback that they wouldn't change coming up here and what they learned and how they grew from the process. So again, I throw that out to the audience. If you're scared that you're not going to get picked up, you're already missing the point. Like the point is to come up here and give it your all so you can grow. And then the secondary effect of that is you might get picked up to come up to the organization. So growth opportunity with the chance of getting picked up. Yeah. So one of the things would you said about the growth, um, within the EOD career field deal, we, we don't have challenges and don't see challenges like we see up here. There are challenges at the shop on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, getting your upgrade and all that. Um, but my biggest thing would, to put out is challenge yourself and come try because you're never going to get challenged within the EOD career field, in the Air Force. You're never going to get challenged like you're going to get challenged up here. And that is going to make you a better person and it's going to cause you to grow. Yeah, I love it. 
Uh, Mark, sticking with you real quick, can you briefly explain the general task and purpose of EOD guys in the organization? And just let me prime the audience. Obviously, we're not going to go below the unclass level here. So just know everything that they're telling you, they can't go as deep as we want to. But Mark, just give a brief overview of what EOD guys do at the unit. Yeah, no problem. Um, first of all, I want to say it's like, we're still EOD guys. We're not out there doing anything different than we normally wouldn't be. I'm just the EOD guy on the team that I'm assigned to. Um, and the nice thing about that is, is I'm working with the same guys every single day. So I can develop those relationships. They know what I need and then I know what they need. So there's this really nice give and take relationship. And then since you build that rapport, you are the subject matter expert on all things explosives. So they look directly to you. Still disarming IEDs. I'm still doing UXO calls, aircraft calls, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not doing anything that's outside of my, uh, what I would say, my wheelhouse, other than just the simple things of shoot, move, and communicate. Yeah, good. Mark, let's stick with you real quick. And just, if you could, so when EOD guys come up and they get picked up, they're going to go through the direct support training course, DSTC. Uh, Mark? By the way, is now in charge of that course, man. So it's good to have him on here as well. Can you explain what that course is? And then we'll go over to Cole and get some of his experiences he came through it. No problem. Um, it's basically the course for all the non one Zulu airfields to get them that basic shoot, move, and communicate skills that the one Zulu gets in their pipeline. Um, since we're not getting those on a day to day basis and you're not getting the uh, all the exact infill procedures and the SOPs that generally go with this uh, this unit up here. That's what that is for. Get you up to speed so that when you do get to the units and the teams, they know what product they're getting, and you can fill that role and not be a liability, and then progress even further on uh, when you're on the team with them and build that rapport. I've watched the product develop over the last few years. And I think what you guys are doing with the course, we're getting it really dialed in and it seems to um, seems to be achieving the goal. Uh, I would think that a lot of people were probably a little cautionary that the guys would be ready to operate at the level. And I've seen the opposite over the last few years. I think what you guys are doing is great. Cole, I want to go to you real quick and just get your experience because you just went through not long ago what was that DSTC course like for an EOD guy um, who doesn't have a lot of background in some of that stuff? Um, it was pretty eye-opening to just the, uh, like Mark said, the different infill, exfil methods you need to do. The basic soldiering is kind of how I put it. Um, he tapped on it back in the conventional side. We don't get day-to-day -day training on that. We don't get a lot of experience in it. So um, it's, it's kind of like, a, it's a very steep learning curve um, because you're getting taught by guys who are on the troops and know what's going to be expected of you and you, you hit the ground sprinting. Um, so not only once you get here, I mean, you do your nine weeks or um, like EOD specific course that we have to go through and then right into DSTC. And it's kind of like you're not shelving what you just learned the private, the previous nine weeks on your core skills, but you're just having to add to that. How can you integrate your skills into all these different um, methods? And um, like you do a lot of shooting. Um, so if that's a motivating factor for guys coming up here, just know you're going to do a lot of shooting. Um, the the small unit tactics, uh, patrolling, um, and then with the course, it opened my eyes to 
not everything is sexy. <laughs> Um, you know, whether you might be having a, a sexy mission set and you might be doing, a, you know, a really cool task, but that infill part, um, might not be sexy. You might be walking through a field when it's 32 degrees and it's raining on you for a few hours at a time. And then you have your mission you need to do. Um, and so that was a very harsh reality, um, in the course. And then beyond that, just. Um, like driving, for example, it, you know, we think it's something we do every day. Okay. I'm a good driver. I don't get in accidents every day. Well, there's a lot more to it. You know, there's, how can you not break your vehicle when you're having to, you know, traverse this mountain and, um, whether it be, you know, up armored vehicle, or it's just a, you know, a razor. Um, so there, you learn all these different nuances with everything we do. That makes this place awesome because, um, you become a professional in all these different types of things, not just your craft. Mark, before we move on from DSTC, I know just hearing him talk and you're probably having your own recollections and you're also kind of driving the train on where the curriculum is going this year. What are some more thoughts you have? We sit here talking about it. Yeah, uh, my goal with the course is, is to try and get it as close as I can to giving a complete product to the uh, teams so that they can just literally drop them in and get them ready to do full mission profiles with the team the next day. Obviously, with the time requirements and stuff like that, that's not quite there yet, but my goal is to give them a better product every single time and, and streamline the process, basically, um, by laying down certain expectations and getting better courses and how to teach the classes better. Um, I think we're getting close. Um, it's just gonna be a matter of time and and money is really what it's going to come down to. Cole kind of touched on a little bit, but I want to talk about the operational tempo because I don't know that it's that big of a deal on the EOD side because I've never been in the EOD community. I know on the one Zulu side, there's guys that are worried about coming up here and getting crushed. Um, I always say if you look at your ops tempo out in those one Zulu career fields and you look at ours, man, it's not much different. I'm interested, though, to get the word out for the EOD folks. What is that ops tempo like? Cole, we'll start with you this time. Um, what's been your experience with the ops tempo since you've been here? Uh, so for me, it was, you know, 2020 has been a weird year for everyone. COVID, I mean, we don't need to hit on that too much. But uh, I kind of view the ops tempo is it's not just when you're gone, but what you're doing even while you're home. Because back in a conventional unit, you know, oh, we don't have much going on today. I can handle some admin work here. Um, that's not hundred percent the case here because you're still training regularly, um, here, which is awesome. Even when you're home station, we have great training, um, grounds, you know, where we work at. So that's one of the big things I would put out to, uh, to the guys listening to this is the fact that you're going to train all the time, which is what most of us want and complain about back at the conventional side of admin work is, is minimal here. Um, dudes in the career field understand this. Like I haven't touched an R14 since I've been here, which is awesome. Um, and you know, everything along those lines. So beyond that, um, come July, once some of our, uh, COVID restrictions were lifted, um, I've been gone quite a bit and I've been fortunate enough to be able to get tons of, uh, like auxiliary training. Um, so when you're in your training cycles, you are training all the time. You're going to be TDY a decent amount. Um, and it's awesome. So I, I love it. It, it can be harder on some guys, but, uh. You, you will be TDY more than you are back in a conventional unit. Mark, what you got to add? 
Um, so my experience was a little different just because the ops tempo I was used to back in the day is super high with deployments every six months, six on six off kind of style. Um, but it is still pretty high here. I wouldn't say it's unbearable because you have this very regimented uh, cycle. To me, that consistency really pays off and you can plan your life, you can plan your family events. And this really is a family, uh, a family unit and they do take great care of our family. Um, EOD, you're, you're known for that anyways. It's not like that's any difference. It's just that now there's a lot more support stuff here for it. Um, yeah, it's high, but I still find that when I am home, I am completely home. I don't have to carry any work home. Uh, I don't spend exorbitant amount of time at work when I don't need to be. It's very much like, hey, when you're at work, get your work done and then get on out of here, spend some time with your family because we know we're going to take some of that away from you. All right, so what I want to hear, and those were great answers. I appreciate that. What I want to hear from you guys right now is what has been your biggest work challenge over the last year. Mark, we'll start with you. So over, and man, I get COVID's going to come into play here too, but what's been the biggest challenge you face as the EOD guy um, this year? Um, for me, this year, uh, just changing to a new position uh, where I was operational in the beginning half, and then now I'm more of in a uh, training and instructor role. Uh, I've never been in that kind of role per se. I mean, we all do training and lead training, but it's a little bit different when you're organizing full courses and making sure your funding streams are the same and uh, getting that all set up with all the instructors and stuff like that. That was my hardest thing for this year. I think the hardest thing for an EOD guy here on the unit is just trying to get caught up to where everybody else is. As we've said in the past, like you hit the ground sprinting because you're just so far behind that power curve that you need to do your best to get to where everybody else is as fast as you can. Yeah, awesome. Cole, over to you. What's been the biggest challenge over on the teams over the last year for you? Uh, my biggest challenge is the uh, the steep learning curve, or I guess you could just call it the learning wall from our perspective. It's not ending. Um, so you, we get done with DSTC, we get through Wrath, and then we get to a troop, and then it's, um, hey, you have a baseline. You've kind of got to the point where you show you can learn and you can perform these core tasks that we expect of you, but now we have to tie it all together into something different. You know, um, sure, you're a great shot. You can be on the flat range. You know, you can go through the house and be safe, but uh, now we're going to go up into you know, 7,800 foot mountains, and we're going to do low angle shooting from 1,000 meters. And, we don't get that opportunity before coming up here. So we're having to like, you know, just pick up knowledge. Like you almost feel like a nuisance sometimes because you're going to all the guys who have all these experience. Like, hey man, I don't know, I, I need help. I need um, some knowledge on this. And you feel bad sometimes because you're asking so many questions, but um, it's just the reality of the situation. None of the guys here that I've asked a question to, and especially if I made it clear, like I have no experience in this, I need some knowledge. Um, none of them have put me off or, or you know, cause issues about it. They're, they're there to help you because you're part of the team. Um, but it's every day, every week, it seems like we're training a new skill. So, you know, whether it's long range shooting or, hey, we're going to go do a one week body flight course. And these guys have hundreds and hundreds of jumps under their belt. And I had 60 going into it. <laughs> like, you know, at, 
trying to stay with them and, you know, you know, be on level with them in the air. Um, same thing with the long range shooting or, you know, their small unit tactics. A lot of these guys have been deployed with ODAs or SEAL teams before and, you know, they got you know, a ton of training on that. And I know the basics and I'm just trying to get to their level all the time. Um, so, it's, you know, it's a Cole, learning what, else, what I want to say to that, and I'm glad you shared that. Um, if we hire guys that have egos that can that can exist in those environments, and man, I struggle. I struggle not being one of the top dudes at something, right? But at our organization, there's many days you're not the top dude at anything, not even close. Yeah. You're in the bottom third just trying to climb your way to the middle somewhere. But if you can survive it, being surrounded by the absolute best that we could find out there um, to surround you and help guide you through that. Uh, and as as a prior operator, I loved it when guys with less experience would come up and ask me something because it it um, fuses it in my brain when I have to teach you something that I know because it's hard. And I think that's what Mark's going to get to experience. And I'm sure he's done it before, but man, it's different when you're the guy disarming the bomb to the guy who's having to tell somebody how to do it under stress with all these other variables weighing in on them. So it just makes you better at your craft. You being inside that team, Cole, is making everybody else better because they're having to hone their craft just to get you um, what you need to elevate your game too. So it's a unique environment up there. That's I wrote down on this paper when you were saying it, uh, my 11 years as an operator, when I left, there was this gigantic chasm that I didn't have anymore and I didn't know what it was at first. And it was that every day um, being pressured to learn something new or to get better at your craft that kind of fell off. It, it became who I am now. Like I do that every day anyway, but not at the level I did as an operator at the organization. And I love hearing that experience that you guys are having kind of that same thing. And it's hard to leave it because it feels like this big chunk of you is gone once, once you um, step back outside the gate again. All right, so we're rounding third here, folks. Um, what I want from the guys, and we'll start with Mark on this one. We are a 100% selectively manned organization and our organization spends tons of energy to make sure that we get this right in fact we just i've said it before on the podcast but we've brought rand in they have solidified our attributes that we're looking for so what i would like you guys to tell the audience from your own perspectives mark we'll start with you um what makes a perfect eod guy up here if you could design that guy and reach it and just mold somebody what are some of the things you would look for um first and foremost has to be problem solving ability i mean if you can't solve problems you're no good especially complex problems i mean there's there's going to be times when you're going to be doing head math you're doing distance calculations uh got to be aware where everybody's at and you're disarming the ied all at the exact same time and you've got to be able to relay that information to everybody so that they can understand what you're saying and it's not like you're talking to other eod guys you're just talking to somebody else in a career field who doesn't know what you're saying. So one, you got to get them spun up. And then two, like you got to be able to communicate. Like if I, I could be the smartest guy in the world, but if I can't communicate my thoughts, then I'm worthless. The only person I'm teaching is me and I'm not, I'm not making the team better than at that point. Um, and then stress tolerance, like you've got to be able to do that under stress. If you can't do all of that under stress, well then, that's all fine in the clinical like study, but that's not where we work. We work in the most high stress situations. So I need you to be your, your best in the most stressful situation. To me, 
those things right there will do everything. And then if you don't have the drive to get better at those things and you're stagnant, you've just proven to me that you're not going to get better. And I'd rather take a guy with a higher ceiling than a guy who is already at their top. So like, that's the big thing for me. Yeah, I like it. And I, I was telling Rand when we when they came up with these final attributes and we were discussing them and then I used them at the last operator selection, you know you got the right ones just like you just did when you can't have a conversation about what right looks like without talking about all of them. Because without one of those, man, the guy is not going to be successful here. The girl, if we're talking about a support, combat mission support or two. So I appreciate that answer. Cole, over to you. And all the things that March has hit on, um, obviously extremely important. The... Um, the, the drive for me is a very big one because like I just said, you're at a, a steep learning wall or a 90 degree learning wall when you get to a troop, even from the day you get here. And I'm still in that right now. And I've been on troop for eight, nine months now. Um, and then with the problem solving, it's you're a single EOD guy on a troop or on a team. So the, they're going to come to you with questions that you might not think of or something that um, you think you would never think of just because you, you know you have the intel or the knowledge of EOD type stuff, um, but then you have to figure out what their intent is and how to make that happen. Um, because again, you're you're not charged. This isn't like a um, you know when you're on an RCP and there's an IED and then okay EOD takes the scene and figures it all out. You direct people where to go. That that's not the case at all. Um, you just you're a dude on a team who just happens to be an EOD tech you have to do that mission and solve the problem for the ground force commander. Um, and then again, with the problem solving, it's, you might be given a task or going to a brand new AO that no one's been to before, and you got to figure out what the threats are there. And that's something that's not trained a whole lot, um, back in the conventional unit. So you got to figure out how to do those things and how to get all that information, all the metrics and, um, all the different events that have happened in that area over the you know last couple of years. Um, the communication is huge because again, there's only been eight UD guys up here, um, since the, uh, conception of UD being here, I guess. Um, and there are a lot of guys in the organization that just aren't familiar with EOD a whole lot. You know, what can we offer? What can we do? And you have to be able to communicate those things to your, um, you know, your troop leader or your, uh, your troop commander, or the GFC, whatever the commander at the unit, tell them what you're capable of how you can be um, an applicable member to the team and how you can get the mission done or help get the mission done. Yeah, I want to fuse a couple of things you guys said. And again, I stated up front that I'm EOD ignorant, even though I have talked to um, all of you guys since the first guy showed up because you guys interest me. But I have watched a lot of EOD movies, so clearly I'm probably as close of an expert as anybody. <laughs> But I think going back to what Mark said and what Cole touched on here, I think the difference a lot of EOD guys will experience up here that they're not used to where they are. And when we're talking about stress and problem solving, um, I think that a lot of times when you see in Afghanistan and um, a situation in Afghanistan or a place like that, and I know even in Iraq, once something is identified, a lot of things stop. And then we cordon off the area and then the EOD guy gets suited up and they go in, maybe with a robot or maybe personally, right, back in the day. What we do here, nothing stops. Like the mission is going on all around you and you need to solve what's in front of you so you can get moving forward and solve something else that they need you to solve. All while the gunfight's still going on. All, all while, uh, excuse me, all 
the while aircraft are still dropping bombs, all the while PJs are still treating casualties, all the while problems still need to be solved. Um, that's what the guys are going through here. And that's what Mark and the DSTC program is trying to get you ready for is to enter that environment. What do you guys have to say on that? Mark, we'll start with you. If you got any comment. Yeah, th I, that's a perfect way to put it. Um, nothing stops. So back in the conventional world, like you said, you could get that cord on out there and then you can go to work and it's not really safe, but in a controlled environment. What we're doing, nothing's in a controlled environment. Nothing's permissive. Everything's always contested. And with that, you got to figure out like, what's my risk to mission and my risk to force? And we go into that and that's that head math, that calculation that you need to be making. Like, hey, can I safely do what I'm about ready to get to do? Or do I need to push some people out, but other people need to stay anyways because they need to do their mission. So. Like it's, it's just this constant calculation and you're providing information to the commander and it's timely, accurate information. And there's this big whole sphere of things that are going on at the exact same time. And you're just one little cog in that big mission set. And you just got to do your part and provide that information and get your job done. And it's accurate information too. Like, hey, something's going to take me five minutes. Well, then it's going to take me five minutes. It's not going to take me 20 because then that's going to throw off everybody's internal calculations on what needs to be done at what time. Yeah, I just want to, and for the audience, if you just listen to what Mark just said and then go back to those attributes that we're talking about, again, it points to why those are so important and why, like, we're, I think at our next EOD hiring, we're going to have a lot of guys show up here and only a couple of guys are going to get hired, right? And the guys that are going to get hired are the guys who demonstrate positive levels of those attributes so Mark can get you to that level at the end of the DSTC because uh, like Cole said earlier too, man, it's the day you graduate. Um, there's not a day off. It's go over and go 100% the next day. Um, and we need guys who can do that. Cole, clean us up. What what do you got left? Uh, I, pretty much exactly what, what Mark just said. Um, the critical thinking is, is huge, uh, the problem solving, because, you know, say you still need to get your task done, but, you know, Jays are treating casualties. Um, controllers are still dropping. You can't get everyone outside the house. Um, if say you're working inside a house, like you have to figure out how to get those things done. And it might not be the most, um, uh, for lack of a better term, like normal way of us operating. It is completely not normal, but especially we're used to working on three man teams and having people to be able to bounce ideas off of, like, you don't get that. Like you are the EOD guy and like, you're the subject matter expert. GFC is going to take what you say. Um, you know, your recommendations up to them. And so the biggest, the best way to say it is like, you're a cog in this algorithm that has to take place on target. And, um, you got to figure out a way to safely get the mission done when there are explosive hazards. And, uh, it takes a lot of problem solving and critical thinking. So I really think Mark said it best with, with this whole analogy. Last question for both of you guys. We'll start with Cole here. So Mark can end it off. All right, Cole, you're on stage. Every Air Force EOD professional in the Air Force is standing there or sitting there in the audience. Um, what are some things you would tell them? What are some of the reasons they should make the 724 a future goal on their radar? Um, the biggest piece of advice I could give them is, do you want to surround yourself with guys that are fighting uh, to be 
their best or get better every day, solve the, some of the nation's biggest problems, um, you, you want to be up here because you, you can add, we can add to that um, very well. And um, it doesn't end again with that DSCC. One of the biggest things I could say is like, you kind of hit it earlier is you're not, you might end up in the bottom third most days um, with the guys that might be, you know, the top of their unit or say any CE squadron that they're in, they could be the best, you know, they're clearly the best um, UD tech that we look up to all the time. You're going to get up here and you're going to be the bottom third of the team and you're going to be fighting hard to be that bottom third of the team. And so it's that fight to always get better. Um, and the desire to just surround yourself with like-minded individuals who want to do better and do more every day. That's what I love about being up here. And, um, I'd say to the whole career field, like I have no regrets coming up here. I wish I could do it 10 times over. Um, and there are a lot of guys out there. I know that are unhappy with the way things are in the conventional force. Um, this is an opportunity and do not self eliminate. If you think this is something you're about, then come try. And then if, you know, maybe you don't make it first time you can come back for another selection. If, uh, you know, if, if it's deemed that, that you're fit for it. So, um, take control of your own career and uh, definitely use this as an opportunity to um, be happy with your career. All right, Mark, round us off. Yeah, um, exactly what Cole said. My biggest thing is, is if you want to const constantly be learning, this is your place because there's never gonna be a day where you're like, hey man, I know everything about this subject. And if you think you do, <laughs> You just haven't learned enough to know that you don't know nothing because that's what i feel like every single day i learn something and i feel like i know less about the entire operation at the end of the day because i just learned a new entire side of something that i wasn't even aware of before and that excites me i i like trying to learn as much as i possibly can so if you're one of those people who wants to learn wants to get better and as that thirst just to train and go out and do things, this is the place. I mean, we we get more money and more opportunities to train than anywhere else in the Air Force. And it's amazing. Uh, and then, like you said, everybody here is the, a professional and the best at their job. All right, guys, it has been my pleasure having you guys on. Uh, this is... You know, I, th I think I say this every podcast, but this has been one of my favorite conversations. I think we've touched on some things that we might not have hit before in previous podcasts. And I think EOD guys out there at least have a good foundation of what their job is, what it will be like when they come through the process and what's expected of them. So, guys, I really appreciate you taking your time out. The day before Thanksgiving, by the way, took their time out to come on the Insight Through Experience podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Trey. I appreciate it. Mr. Fleet, it's always a pleasure. Thanks again.